Hello, this is Mark Lieberman, host of the show, The World According to Mark. And today I have the pleasure of having a guest who lives in Eugene, Oregon. His name is Jan Spencer. Jan, thank you for being on the show today. Oh, thanks. Nice to be here, Mark. So Jan is a person with an extremely interesting and diverse background. Uh, he has a bachelor's degree in geography. We all remember what geography was, right? And for the last 30 so years, he's been living in Eugene, Oregon, and he's been interested in, concerned about an activist for the environment, for human potential as he describes it. He also is going to tell us about something called permaculture and I will let him explain what permaculture is. He is a frequent podcaster. He has been um, on radio shows. He's also done lectures and presentations at such esteemed institutions as Yale and MIT. And he was a guest in residence at Green Mountain College in Vermont. So without further ado, I would like to have Jan tell us what he's doing here, but let, let me back up one second and say, why is why did I why did I care about this? Why should you care about it? In two sentences, I think we are all concerned about our physical environment, our human environment, equity, what's happening to the planet, and so on and so forth. And mostly, when we are concerned about that, we either stay quiet, we talk to friendly neighbors. Sometimes we raise the issue in a political venue uh, and other times, you know, we sort of raise our hands and say we're helpless. But what, what Jan is gonna help to explain to us is why we need to stay in the game, so to speak, and why there are ways in which we can get involved. But before we get involved, we have to have a sense of what it is we're doing. So Jan, was that a good introduction for who you are and what you're about? Yeah, that's All fine. Right. Thanks, Mark. Okay, Jan, <laughs> tell us uh, about, uh, fill in the gaps about what you've done, but you can also start with telling us about your, the permaculture and related philosophies and, um, and, and paradigm shifts as you've mentioned to me before we got on air. Okay, sure, Mark. Uh, thanks for your interest in all that. Uh, this is uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, ideas to uh, to touch on here. We'll do a, a good good job with that. I've lived here in Eugene for thirty years. I'm a refugee from Texas, and um, over those years, I've just had my own experiences in life. And and my conclusion at this point is that humans are capable of better than what we've grown up with. I consider uh, we live in a society that is uh, basically for the benefit of an economic system to grow and overconsumption of resources is one of the guiding principles of our economic system. Of course, it has to grow. We're talking about what we know as capitalism. There's lots of varieties of capitalism. And uh, I've just found with my experience that the results on the ground 
how we live our lives, the news, uh, the consumer culture, uh, the celebrity culture, the condition of the environment, the condition of our own human potential. I cannot sit and just watch this go on. I think that the planet deserves better and we deserve better as individuals, as neighborhoods, as communities, as a society and the entire world. So you mentioned permaculture and um, I consider permaculture to be uh, an enormously useful tool in, in gaining some sense of what are the possibilities for how humans can take care of their needs and, and how can we move in that direction. And permaculture is a, a design system. There are principles and values and ideals of permaculture. And I would also say there are many other sources of inspiration that also add to permaculture. There's more than just permaculture, but permaculture is, uh, in my thinking, a growing movement around the world. You can find people who are knowledgeable about permaculture on every continent. It's something like a new emerging language uh, in the sense of the last 20, 30, 40 years. For example, last summer I was in Europe for three months in Europe last, month, uh, last summer. And I spent one of those months in Sardinia, which is a place I like a lot. I like Sardinia, an island uh, of Italy. I connected with quite a few permaculture-minded people in Sardinia who were practicing permaculture in different ways with where they live. I knew I already had a connection with these people by virtue that we're all interested in permaculture. Permaculture living with nature, working with natural principles. Uh, permaculture ideals include efficiency. How can you get the most from a given amount of effort? How can you work with nature? Uh, how can you reduce waste? Uh, how can you bring out the best in a given situation? So permaculture is not only about gardening and growing vegetables permaculture principles could be the basis to design an economic system. So that's what I'm interested in, is how can we use uh, sources of, of guidance, you could say, of permaculture um, and its principles, um, not only uh, at the human, at the personal level, but at the societal level as well. And I would add, you can go online and search permaculture and you can find a lot of information to go okay. into greater detail. Okay. Thank you, Jan. So let me step in for a second and just um, ask you a couple of questions and then you can again sort of lead the way here. Uh, from my reading in preparation for this program, I understand that according to some, the use of the term permaculture and some of the key features are uh, were, were originated in Australia and maybe as well in Tanzania. And that with 
social media and with the way word gets spread about these things, it has migrated, as you suggest, all over the world. And there are enthusiasts, devotees, folks around the world that are practicing it. And as you alluded to, some of them are practicing it individually. Uh, some of the principles that you'll get into, some of them are doing it on a more collective basis, such as in regions, in cities, and so on and so forth. And you've, you are suggesting that it's taking hold. Now, I want to ask you a question about it. First of all, is that a fair statement, that that's what's happening with um, you know, the, the culture, so to speak, of permaculture? Permaculture is spreading uh, all over the world. And like I said, in Sardinia, you can search permaculture uh, and do uh, a geographic search. Uh, the permaculture, from my uh, information, I haven't been to India. There's a lot of permaculture interest in India. Of course, permaculture is generally thought of as the result uh, systematized by a couple of uh, uh, people from Australia. And let me just mention that permaculture is not something brand new. It's more a systematizing a lot of information that we already have and updating that uh, permaculture is very pro-science as well. But it includes the environmental concerns and it includes humane uh, uh, elements as well. Certainly the quick three items of permaculture, uh, people care, earth care, and fair share. That says an enormous amount. Uh, and of course, how do we interpret those? But I think you just have to interpret those as pointing a direction towards an economic system and a society and lifestyles that's very different from what we have right now. Okay, so um, I think we're talking on the same wavelength here. I, I'd like for uh, if to go a little closer to home here. Uh, Sardinia is a nice place to visit. Uh, I'd like to go there someday. But um, we have permaculture in various, probably virtually every state in the United States. We have it in Canada and it's in Western Europe, um, which you know is not to say that those are the most important places in the universe for it to be practiced, but it's more relatable, I think, to us, as um, most of the people listening to the show, if not all of them are in the United States, as to how it's working, how it's happening here. So, um, so I, but I, get, I, I understand that this is a growing, there's growing interest in it. And you obviously had interest from academia uh, to present your, some of your views about this. So let me just ask you now, if you would, can you illustrate some of the key principles concerning permaculture and sort of the whole, you know, the whole apple of what you, what you're interested in, what you want to see happen? You, you mentioned that it's something that individuals can practice, but it's also a societal thing. And you mentioned, you know, capitalism, we can talk about capitalism and the evils of capitalism. We'll have to devote four more shows to that, I suppose. 
But, you know, candidly, with a little bit of tongue in cheek, we can talk about the evils of communism. We can talk about the evils of a lot of, of uh, social political experiments. But I don't think that's really the major point because it sounds, and tell me if I'm wrong, it sounds like one can have an appreciation for some of the values of permaculture without either throwing capitalism overboard or throwing or becoming a conscript for communism or whatever. It's, it's not something, it's something that can tr transcend those political boundaries. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I would be easy to say that as critical as I am of the existing economic system, the fact is that our uh, capitalism and consumer culture produces an enormous number of products and services that would totally fit in a sustainable future. Absolutely. So my opinion is that if we at the personal level and increasing in scale also, if we apply our own time and money, we all have resources. Uh, they can be all kinds of different ways, our own resources, but we all have to some degree time and money and the capacity to make choices with what we do with our time and money. Uh, I uh, am uh, not a, a socialist or a communist in those traditional senses of those words because the socialists, the communists, uh, the capitalists, from my experience, my interpretation, they all elevate humans above nature, and nature is basically here as a resource for these ideologies to express themselves. But a, a primary belief that I have is that if we make smart use of our time and money and how we put our time in community service, in helping to uh, uh, bring about what I like to call a preferred future where humans fit within the boundaries of the natural world, then we have those choices we can make. Permaculture can help guide those choices, but making smart, self-interested, this isn't even like, uh, how can I be of greatest service to the larger? We're functioning to a large degree on self-interest. It just happens that self-interest coincides with the well-being of the community and the environment as well, being engaged and involved with others. I think we can have a large percentage of the good stuff that the consumer culture makes available we can have the science, the internet. Okay, uh, so I want to read something to you. Hang on, hang on just a second, Mark, please. Yeah. We, can, we can have the good stuff by making smart choices and we can leave a lot of the baggage behind. Right, okay, so to capsulize what you're saying and not to interrupt is we can have the good stuff and, and we can also have some of the other things that has been developed over time. To that end, I want to read something that you may or may not agree with, but it seems to, to be uh, co it's on the same page, I think, as what you're saying. Permaculture ethics, man, this is the first time we use the word ethics, are distilled from research into community ethics, 
learning from cultures that have existed in relative balance with their environment for much longer than more recent civilizations. This does not mean that we should ignore the great teachings of modern times, presumably science and the rest, but in the transition to a sustainable future, we need to consider values and concepts outside the current social norm. Thinking tools that when used together allow us to creatively redesign our environment and our behavior in a world of less energy and resources. So you didn't write that, I didn't write it. What do you think of that? Does that sound right to you? Oh, I, I think that there's something that can be said for all that. What that makes me think of is a, a set of ideals and values that millions and millions of people would say, yes, I, uh, I can agree with that. But this set of ideals and values sadly neglected. And exactly what I mean is another realm of inspiration and guidance I look to and identify as the wisdom of the world's great spiritual traditions. If you look at what the ideals and the social behavior, we're not talking about the religion. We're talking about uh, virtually every religion, uh, spiritual uh, position, whether it's Christianity or Islam or Judaism, Hindu, uh, even native, uh, native types of spirituality, practically every one of those has ideals. Uh, for example, care for the natural world. This is the creation, call it creation care, however you want to phrase it. Another important uh, of uh, this wisdom is service to the community. How can we, with our own time, help make the community a better place to live? Another one is uplift to the spirit. How can we become better people? This kind of goes back to the realm of, of human potential. How can we manifest uh, our human potential? And that's, a, that's an enormous one. And, uh, and being accountable for our own actions that's uh, extremely important too. So I look to this, uh, again, the wisdom of the world's great spiritual traditions, and you can find these ideals in the Bible, the Quran, all these great works of, of, of human uh, being uh, ideal. So okay. those, those ideals and, and the principles can be put into, a, into action in our own lives every day, as much so as we can. They work perfectly with permaculture. They fit like a glove with permaculture. And these ideals can be the guiding of a, of a society and an economic system. Okay, so I wanna get into some concrete examples of where this is working, where it's been deployed. And if you can, what are the results? But before I do that, I just wanna make one comment. You, you said it can be found in religion, regardless of the religion. It can be found in history, you know, the adherence to these principles of preservation of the earth, um, exhibiting ethics and, and interest and kindness in terms of our society. 
I just want to comment without getting too political because you're not a political person per se. Uh, one place you don't seem to find this is uh, in the US Congress. You don't seem to hear a lot of you know, concrete principles that flow from whatever the passion is of the day. So if we've, if we've got, we, we, we've seen across this country, the devastation um, from uh, weather problems. I'm not gonna go into, is it climate change? Is it not climate change? It doesn't matter. There, there are droughts, there are hurricanes, there are tornadoes, there's warm weather at a time which seasonally you wouldn't expect for warm weather. And then there's frigid cold weather when you wouldn't expect it if you're looking at the calendar. And there is obviously the notion that there's only so much you can do about the weather. That's a principle that or a, that was a, 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 a phrase that was used much when I was growing up. Can't do anything about the weather. Well, it turns out you probably can do something about the weather. But in any event, you're not seeing the government figure out a way without getting into partisan bickering about what should be done about some things. What is the contribution of the use of fossil fuel to the, uh, to the atmosphere? What is the consequence of coal mining? What is the consequence of electric cars? Whatever all that is. So that's my you know, minute and a half segue about politics. But what I really think we would all benefit from you, Jan, if you can tell us things that you know that either you were personally involved in helping to organize or push forward and other examples where some actions were taken collectively at some level that seem to be moving us to the preferred outcomes that you've talked about with permaculture. Sure, uh, let me first uh, respond that uh, in terms of our so-called elected representatives, yes, they are elected. Uh, I don't see a really big difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. A little bit of difference, of course there is, but they both serve the economic system above all. They don't question, there's, there's no discussion about, well, this economic system has made such a mess out of things, maybe we should be seriously considering something very different. No discussion of that, so enough of that. I have a, a big interest in urban land use and uh, uh, how are our cities designed, uh, the transportation, the housing, uh, where does the energy come from? Uh, do, these, uh, do our cities bring out the best in us? And of course they don't. The automobile dominated society that we live in, uh, no pun intended, is not an accident. It exists because there's more money to be made with cars than there is with trains and walkable neighborhoods. It's as simple as that. Uh, I can go into great detail about suburban history. I'm not going to do that. But you may have to take trains off the table temporarily unless somebody figures out how to keep these trains from derailing. But go ahead. I get your point. So... <laughs> What I've done in my own personal life, I live in suburbia. I live in a suburban neighborhood here in Eugene. It's called the River Road Neighborhood. Eugene, like any city, have a name for different neighborhoods. 
So Eugene has about 25 different neighborhoods. I live in River Road. The Willamette River forms the east side of our neighborhood. We have some boundaries. We have a neighborhood association, which I'm involved with. I have a quarter acre suburban property, which I bought about 20 years ago. The house is oriented east-west. The property, the long part of the property is north and south. The backyard is on the south side of my house. I can look out my window right now and I see the backyard. I see the south side of my house. Uh, and the south side of my house is a big passive solar space. It's a patio that was on the south side of the house that's been covered in to become a passive solar space, never freezes in there. When I bought my property 20 years ago, my intention from the start was to do a permaculture makeover. I would call this a permaculture makeover. Uh, and that was 20 years ago, I started doing this. Literally thousands of people have visited here over the years to see what a suburban property can look like. So what I've done, and this is applying really all these ideals um, that we've touched on here, is, is to reduce ecological footprints. It elevates my spirit. Wow, I love living here. This is to a significant degree, I am living in a preferred future. I look out, and it makes me feel good, you know, seeing the, the lemon tree, the fig tree, the passive solar. I love seeing this stuff. If we lived in more positive, visually, cities and towns, we'd be a far happier people. So when I first moved in, primarily the uh, first items I did was to get rid of the grass. I, uh, I have front yard and backyard gardens. I'm growing vegetables, front yard and backyard. I've done edible landscaping. I've got peach, pear, apple, fig, grapes, kiwi fruit, almonds, lemon tree. Uh, I have so much food growing here. I have- Veritable smorgasbord is what you're saying. I almost, and, and everything is to a large degree as, as people who, who do, I have this kind of interest, you know, that different times of the season, you have different things that you can pick. So I have that for much of the year. And of course, I save uh, and store a lot of the food I grow here too. Am I off the grid for food? Of course I'm not. That's not realistic. But I grow almost all my own vegetables and I store that food in different ways as well. I have a 6,500 gallon rainwater system that I use to irrigate that I could also use uh, if we have some sort of interruption for normal uh, delivery of, of water. That's a really important one. I have three large water tanks. One of them is actually food grade plastic. So that's another, uh, I early on, I turned a garage into a living space. So what I'm, uh, an ideal here is to increase residential density. So you have more people living in a more compact space. That's a, an ideal of uh, new urbanism. That's an ideal. Our city has policies that try to guide development somewhat in that direction. We can't be sprawling out into the countryside. 
Uh, and that's the recipe for being dependent on cars as being out uh, distant from uh, where we need to go to take care of our for work, for school, for going to the grocery store to buy healthy food. Uh, I also, one of my favorite projects I did here uh, is a friend and I rented a cement saw. We cut up my driveway and we took my driveway out. I don't have a driveway anymore. Uh, park. I do have a vehicle. I don't use it very much. It's parked out along the street. My housemates park their car uh, along the street as well in front of my house. But I took out the driveway and I have a English walnut tree you can climb in 20 feet off the ground that I planted 20 years ago. And of course, it makes uh, some uh, walnuts as well. So what I've done with my property is to try to make best use of what's on site. And that is a permaculture principle. How can you take what you have and do the best you can with it? And I love to do a show and tell. Uh, I have a uh, site tour planned here, not this coming weekend, but the next weekend. So I love to uh, walk around and explain things to people. And I also, would say that in my neighborhood, within a 10 minute bike ride, there are a couple of dozen other properties that might not have quite as much as I have, but they would also identify with permaculture and their uh, substantial uh, projects they have on their houses where they live uh, are also intended to reduce eco footprints so we have site tours actually here in the neighborhood. We've had dozens over the years to go to different properties in the neighborhood and even other places in Eugene as well, because there's uh, wonderful locations here and there in Eugene that we go to and say, this is uh, how permaculture can look. These places are a preview both in terms of the environment and reducing eco footprints, but also in terms of social collaboration of people not having to duplicate every amenity for themselves. They can learn the social skills to be able to share more stuff so they don't have to have as much money to have nice things and they can all collectively help reduce their ecological footprints too. But okay. love let, these let me, places, absolutely. Okay. That's, that's very good information. And, and I think anybody listening to what you've personally been able to do would um, have to say, here, here. Then they, they might also say, yeah, that's great for him, but I'm not going to get my hands dirty out there. And I prefer to go to uh, the grocery store or the Whole Foods store or the farmer's market and get what I need, then take the chances that I can grow something that will be, that will survive the season and which I can pull fruit and vegetables off of. But that's, that's not the point I'm making. The, the point I'm making is we, I think what, what you're saying is in your own life, and in your own environment, you have been able to be an activist to convert your property to not only sustainable, but uses that you would otherwise have to go looking to the grocery store for. So if you take the position, you didn't explain exactly this issue, we don't have to get into it in detail, 
but who needs grass? We're not cows, we're not gonna eat grass. We don't need grass. Grass takes a lot of water. I have a better idea. Here's some plants that can actually produce something and maybe they're less dependent upon or less consumers of you know, nitrogen and fertilizer and water and so on and so forth. That's, that's all well and good. But you mentioned, but we didn't, but I'd like to go into it further, how the doing of those things to the extent people can do those, whether they're living in the suburbs or living in, in the herbs, living in a city. I mean, there are examples I'm sure you know better than I in cities as large as New York City or Chicago or Los Angeles, where there's roof gardens, there's what used to be called victory gardens, but they're community gardens where every square inch of land that is not otherwise asphalted or concreted, which are not verbs, um, can be reclaimed for some of the purposes you're talking about. But the question that um, I think you can go into and try to answer a bit more is where is where does this go in terms of the overall uh, socialization? And I don't mean socialist, as you said, socialization, enrollment, getting people to think about this. And so that some of these things can be adopted by whoever is responsible for our, our, manage, our management at a higher level. You mentioned Eugene, Oregon, presumably a relatively liberal type government is trying to enact things. Here in my home city of Asheville, they try to do some things. Some people claim they're paying more lip service to it than they're actually doing. So there are efforts that are taking place. So my, what I'm looking for again, in terms of ex, is examples and your, and your thoughts on it is, where does this go from being something, and, and I don't mean to be pejorative here, but some could look at what you're doing and say, oh yeah, we remember all that. We were, we were, we were hippies once. We, we, there were communes. There were people who, you know, collectivize their efforts and try to live off the land. Where are all those people now? Well, they all went to Wall Street or they all went to Silicon Valley. They all got real jobs and they all got either very rich or they became alcoholics and drug addicts and they dropped out. So what, why do we have confidence? Why do you have confidence that what's important about the so-called concept of permaculture is more sustainable? Yeah. Uh, first, I would say there's a, a lot of space between Wall Street and uh, living on the street. <laughs> there's a lot of space. I, uh, I've experienced some of those things that you've described myself. What I uh, identify with some of those ideals of the late 60s and 70s, of course I do. Uh, I think that they were an early indicator, and there's lots more historical indicators since then that show some pretty big cracks in the system. I'll guarantee you there's lots of big cracks in the system. So, and let me mention this too. Of course, not everybody wants to do the kind of stuff I've done. I design my lifestyle around doing this stuff because uh, it's a low overhead lifestyle. I don't have a ton of money. I've got some. I'm white, male, middle class. That's a big benefit. There's actions people can take in all kinds of different situations that uh, 
besides suburbia that people can move in a healthy direction, even something as simple as our food choices. We all know there's healthy food choices. So, uh, and I realize also that socially and economically, it's not a level playing field. I'm talking from my own experience. Uh, there are people who live every day in conditions I just, I can't imagine, uh, whether it's people with a lot more money or people with a lot less money. But the principles and ideals of moving towards a, a more healthy, secure, uh, an environmentally responsible future, those principles can apply to everybody. And people, I am totally certain, have more capacity and more tools to work with for moving in a healthy direction. And again, this is a lot of self-interest as well. This isn't like rainbows and birds chirping. This is a lot of self-interest. Our self-interest is tied up with the self-interest and the well-being of other people as well. So there's a scale here. Um, I've done all of this stuff here on my property and let me, a slight tangent, repairing suburbia could create a lot of jobs. What I've done here, I bought lots of stuff from the home improvement store. There's lots here like a heat pump, a solar hot water heater, a galvaloon metal roof, uh, on and on. I have helped support my local economy a great deal by what I've done here on my property. I've made time for it. People who are more middle class and have what you could say real jobs, they might be able to pay other people to do this kind of stuff for them, uh, even to the extent of, of allowing somebody else to farm their front and backyard. And then they could work out some kind of a sharing of how much do you get from uh, what somebody else, instead of having a lawn mowing business, having an, a suburban gardening business, uh, people uh, are in the early going of trying to work this out. And, and let me say that a lot of these good ideas, this is all an adventure there's no real complete guide to say this is what you do one step two three four and you're there this is an adventure for everybody because we all have our own unique lives and the way of looking at the world and some of our own personal uh types of uh of assets so the next thing is how do we increase the scale? One of my favorite places in the world is up the road a short ways in Portland, Oregon. And uh, I've been uh, visiting this place several times. It's an eco-village. It's called Kyle Ash Eco-Village. They have a website and they've documented what they've done. It is one of my favorite places because what it shows is not everybody lives in a suburban house, so they can't do what I'm doing. A lot of people live in a more urban location. So Kailash, uh, Kailash Eco Village, a couple of people um, 15, 17 years ago retired, uh, have the money. They, they didn't go to Wall Street. They didn't go into drug addiction. They're in the in-between place. 
they bought a small rundown apartment complex that could uh, uh, provide uh, uh, shelter for like 50 people, an old rundown apartment complex that uh, in times past drug shootouts in the parking lot. Uh, when they bought the place fully, a third of the units were unusable because they just hadn't been taken care of. They put a lot of time and effort into rebuilding uh, this apartment complex. And, and now it's a thriving eco-village. There's 50 people there. Again, that's Kyle Ash eco-village. And there's gardens and there's all kinds of- how do, you spell, how do you spell that if people want to look that up, Jan? K-A-I-L-A-S-H. Okay. If, if you were to search uh, Kyle Ash eco-village Portland, find it. Okay. And again, they've done an awesome job of documenting. They've depaved parking lots. Um, they have social uh, occasions that go on. Uh, there are some expectations of participation when you live there. It's not co-housing. You pay rent to be there. So it's accessible to a lot more people than co-housing. And co-housing is wonderful, but generally it costs a pretty good amount of money to be a part of that. So that's an example of increasing the scale. And the eco-village, Kyle Ash is also a big positive entity in the neighborhood as well. They collaborate with the neighborhood for emergency preparedness, uh, public art, uh, uh, making, say, example, wood chips. We got a huge amount of wood chips here. Uh, neighbors, come and get some wood chips if you want. They uh, are not only for their own 50 people, but for the larger community as well. I think this is just enormously exciting. And I know there's other places, their own version of this here and there all over the country too. So let me ask you this. Um, and you, do you know about, or have you been a voice or participated in any way that can be helpful to us understanding the the globalization of this, but have you been, have you participated in trying to get city, state, county governments to adopt policies, provide some assistance that would uh, further incent people to do the sorts of things that you're talking about that went on in this eco village? Sure, that's a, that's a, a very good question. No, I, I have not put uh, much time into lobbying, say, my city council for doing these things. The mayor has been to my house. The, the city manager has been to my place. So there's substantial knowledge. Uh, th this, type, this type of activity is going on in Eugene. Um, I know that our utility company, we have a public utility here. And I, I know that, that, that in different different particulars, uh, many utility companies offer incentives to buy like heat pumps or solar hot water heaters or insulate houses. Those are all very important things to do. Uh, I do have uh, all of those items here uh, and the, our local utility company provides some incentives, incentives. And I don't know what the current tax situation is, but for uh, solar, electric, uh, there's sometimes uh, help 
uh, tax breaks, you know, for investing in solar electric. But I would want to say that it's important for me, I think, to include in our sort of vision of what life could be like moving into what I like to say, a preferred future. It has to include reducing our ecological footprints. I am not one who advocates we can live our familiar middle-class lifestyles and it can all be green. I don't believe that for a moment. That's why I say my opinion is we can make the smart choices with our time and money and maintain our access to a lot of the good stuff, a lot of the good technology, a lot of the good approaches to public health um, and leave a lot of the baggage behind. And a lot of that baggage, I'll mention tens of millions of jobs in this country exist to create baggage. And tens of millions of jobs exist to repair the damage caused by that baggage. And by baggage, I mean those products and services that don't fit living within the boundaries of the natural world. Uh, that's social baggage, that's environmental baggage, it's personal as well. And that leads me to another uh, ideal. How do we pay for these changes? That's a real good question. The short answer to that is when we don't buy the products and services that don't fit a sustainable future, we can use that money in a different way for investing in positive aspects of a preferred future. And, and part of that is what I call the double benefit. When we don't buy the damaging products, then we don't have to spend literally hundreds of billions of dollars in the nation every year repairing the damage. We, uh, you're familiar with the term external cost. We don't pay an honest price for what we spend our money on. It doesn't tell an honest story about what it took, the uh, where that oil came from, how it was refined, what was the, the consequences on uh, the local people in the, the Ecuador Amazon. The price for a gallon of gas ignores that. So in my belief, in a preferred future, just about everything is gonna cost more because it would have an honest economic system that would put an accurate price on those products. But if we avoid the damaging products, then that frees up trillions, literally trillions of dollars every year in this country's economy to invest in something that's affirmative to people and the environment. Okay, so uh, I guess where I'm seeing a potential gap, and I don't want to, uh, you know, put you on the in any way, shape, or form the defensive. I hear on the one hand you're talking about things that people can do that are cost effective uh, because they don't leave as much of a footprint. Um, you're talking about the, what you say are the trillions of dollars that's spent on goods and services which are bad overall for the environment. And if, we, if you moved yourself as an individual or as a community away from those, there would be more money. But that doesn't seem to me quite how it works without having a number of pieces in between those two things. 
So let me tell you what I'm speaking about. <clears throat> if everybody in these communities, whether you call them permacultures or eco cultures or whatever, says we are no longer going to buy water in plastic bottles that are largely not recyclable. Okay, so that's gonna have some impact on whoever the companies are that manufacture those, but it's not gonna be a massive impact because there's tons of people that use those bottles and there's lots of companies that make those bottles. And to the average person who is not as ecologically minded as you and some of the adherents to permaculture, they don't care as much. I mean, they get it, but they also say, yeah, but I want a small plastic bottle that I can take with me on a hike or that I can walk around with. And I don't wanna to have to clean it out or worry about it. So I'm just gonna throw it away in, or hopefully not throw it on the side of the road. Some of them do. I'm just gonna throw it away. And I understand there's something called recycling. So maybe somebody will pick up on that. That's, a, that's one example. Another example is again, we haven't talked much, and this may not be um, something that you're as versed in, but you know, there's this whole issue of fossil fuels. Well, what's a fossil fuel? Well, it's a lot of things, but we know for one thing, it's gasoline. So we hear and we know that there is movement incentives moving away from oil and gas, uh, from, from gas-powered vehicles to electric vehicles. Those, even of us who have a limited understanding, think that, okay, if you go electric, that means you don't have to, you know, drill into the earth or you don't have to, you know, clear cut and bring, bring a bunch of coal through strip mining and so on and so forth. But the, the fact of the matter is, I haven't seen any recent statistics, there are costs to the environment and costs generally with electric vehicles that have not been solved. And there are limits in terms of people converting over from, uh, gasoline powered vehicles to hybrids and then to electric vehicles because we don't have the infrastructure they say for it there's not enough charging stations and if you want your own charging station it costs you uh, an arm and a leg to put it in and then you have limited range on these vehicles and so on and so forth but it seems to me that while what you're saying is important for individuals to take responsibility for their own environment and their contribution to the degradation of the environment and to work with others in socially you know responsible ways to get wider acceptance you talked earlier and now i'm going to ask you to specifically talk about about paradigm shift my view of paradigm shift is when when people at large when the government when whatever comes to, to bear and says, we have to make these shifts and we have to do it on a reasonable timeline and we can't dilly-dally around. So how do we get from all the great ideas that you have, all the great ideas that these eco-villages have and these other communities worldwide to move the needle as fast as the needle needs to be moved? Yeah. Uh, of course, that's a, a very good question. I would not claim to have the, the complete answer <laughs> on that by any means. But first, let me say I am not an advocate of electric cars. Uh, electric cars are just the latest example of how this economic system cannot let go of the fact that 
it can't keep growing like it is. Uh, and it can't keep using people uh, uh, as, as the consumers and people who are consuming need to take uh, responsibility as well. People in their own lives need to be accountable. Of course, people like to claim or, or, or criticize and condemn the big corporations and to a substantial degree, they deserve it. But if people keep buying the products, then this is what you can expect. Uh, I, I mentioned before, in my own opinion, we're not going to have the types of convenience and, uh, and lifestyles in a responsible future that we uh, experience right now. In my thinking, the trade-offs would be way worth it. The trade-offs would be beyond worth it. It's more about developing uh, our own spirit, you know, and our own human potential rather than the bumper sticker you might have seen, he who dies with the most toys wins. What, where does that come from? So how do we go from here to where we want to go? Uh, I'll mention that I'm uh, working on a, a project I call a primer for paradigm shift. And I will be addressing that exact question. How do we increase the scale of this? We don't have time left for this discussion. Maybe another time we can. I haven't arrived to that point in my, uh, my project for this primer. I have it mapped out uh, and I know what the the, the contents would be, and I've even done some of the writing for that part of uh, this work that uh, I have going. But uh, suffice to say that virtually every progressive public interest organization and nonprofit exists to repair some kind of damage caused by overconsumption whether that's environmental damage or uh, it's social damage, they're both equally important to me. So that means to me that these organizations have that common denominator about the, the source of these problems and also acknowledging that people, if they keep buying the stuff, you can just expect more of the same. But these organizations, it could be communities of faith, which I've, I've mentioned, could be the Sierra Club, could be the League of Women Voters, could be uh, all these different various uh, climate change organizations. They're all good. They're not operating. They shouldn't operate as their own particular concern. They're related with uh, affordable housing. It's all part of a larger whole, and they ought to be uh, working together. My ideal would be that these uh, organizations, uh, these uh, uh, nonprofits, they take on part of their education to their memberships, these ideas of reducing eco footprints. Can you imagine the Sierra Club, which has like 3 million members, if in their magazine they put out, they're describing this guy in Eugene, Oregon, look what he's done to his property, you know, and look how more people are doing that. Well, uh, next, next issue, we're going to spotlight this place in Portland, Oregon, Kyle Ash Eco Village. 
and have these kinds of stories of people actually on the ground creating these models that maybe aren't all the way, but they certainly point the direction to where we want to go. So Jan, in a couple of minutes, and I do mean a couple of minutes we have left, let me pick up on um, a couple, uh, one thing that you said and expand it. First of all, you are writing uh, Primer. I've read uh, and listened to two of them. You've got two more, I think, in the hopper. Uh, tell people how to get to know what you are doing and, what, and to enhance their uh, understanding by going to your website. There are also, you could just put permaculture and I did. I noticed that there's something called the Permaculture Research Institute. There's probably lots of local entities with the name permaculture in it. But first tell everybody if you can, where they can get access to your information and we will have you back on another show to talk more about this um, very important topic. So go ahead. Sure. My website is the source to, uh, with links to everything that I have. I have uh, items on YouTube and podcast. My website is suburbanpermaculture.org. It's a long word, suburbanpermaculture.org. And then on my homepage, there's a menu and you can you can browse around. There's information about what I've done, my own documenting, what I've done here on my own property. I have all the podcasts for my radio show. I have links to YouTube presentations, uh, including what Mark just mentioned, the first two of four parts to this primer on paradigm shift. It's not a book. It's uh, video slideshows on YouTube. And, and thanks for mentioning that, Mark. It's, so I have two more of those to go, but all of that is accessible by my website, suburbanpermaculture.org. Okay. I want to uh, thank my guest today, uh, Jan Spencer, for a wonderful introduction into the topic of permaculture, sustainable environment, what you can do and so on and so forth. It's been extremely uh, informative. Uh, I should have reintroduced uh, you throughout the show, didn't do that. Um, a little editing might solve that problem, but it's a very, very interesting topic. I think again, to, for me, in terms of my wrap up in 30 seconds is, if you're gonna do something good like this, then you have to know something. To know something, you have to learn about it. To learn about it, you need to read about it, watch the videos, get informed, and then move into an action-oriented mode. You can't do everything. You can't convert your whole backyard into you know, a place for string beans, but you can do a lot of this stuff, and, and, and it all helps. So again, thank you, Jan, for being on the show today. We'll have you back. All right. That's great. Thanks, Mark. Thank you.